Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, everybody. This is um, GodPod number 38. And... Um, here we are in our studio, and uh, we have with us um, Michael. Hello. And we have Jane. Good morning, or whatever time of day it is when you're listening to this. <laughs> That's right. And uh, we also have Chris, Chris Tilling. Hello. Uh, if, you, uh, if you didn't hear last time's Godpod, Chris is a new member of our staff here at St. Paul's Theological Centre, and is teaching New Testament, so it's great to have Chris here, who has mm. shown himself to be an avid eater of biscuits already. <laughs> um, I deny everything. <laughs> um, well, we've got some questions here, and as I say, um, today we don't have any um, uh, special guests from the outside. We thought we'd just do um, something, just the home team. And um, to catch up on some of the questions that have come in from various quarters. So, um, um, yeah, that's it. Other, other than that, I mean... Mike, you haven't done anything remarkable since the last time. Not got married. I don't, I don't know. I got married last time, but before the time. Yeah, but I haven't no, done anything right. like that again. No, just I haven't got married again. Once, is, like once is enough. That's no. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jane, you haven't had any Lambeth conferences again. No, that's all done. And that's done for the next few years. Yes. <laughs> that's right. I am wondering what to do with everything I heard at the Lambeth conference, though. I heard such amazing stories and got such incredible insights about what it's like to be an Anglican Christian somewhere, mm. anywhere in the world. And I sort of feel I'm bursting with some of that. Yeah. Um, and that I want to sort of push people in corners and tell them all about it, whether they want to hear. And I mean, I don't actually know what to do with, with all of that, because I just feel a lot of people would really like to hear some of it. Yeah. Um, I yeah. also want to, to sell everything that's in the safes in Lambeth Palace and give all the money to the bishop's wives in Sudan <laughs> and places like that. Sounds um, a very good idea. <laughs> but not the tortoise. You no, can't I, sell the tortoise. I probably can't sell the tortoise. It's no. not, just in case people are wondering, it's not a live tortoise. It's a, a shell it's of a tortoise. tortoise. Yes. It's a dead tortoise. <laughs> it is no more. <laughs> it is shuffled off this mortal coil. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that resides in a case at Lambeth Palace. It belonged to Archbishop Lord, this tortoise, mm. and it outlived the Archbishop by several decades. It didn't get its head cut off. It did not get its head cut off because its theological views were kept quite to itself. <laughs> and there's a lesson for us all. <laughs> but not a god pod. Well, um, yeah. do, do I feel a, a book coming on talking about the Lambeth experiences, Jane? Well, or I don't that know. not the best way of doing it? Um, Maybe we should do a god pod on it sometime. Maybe. Maybe that would be good. Yes. Yeah. But or if anybody we... listening to this has got ideas as to what Jane should do. And would and, 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 yes, ways of telling people what I heard and what yeah. we what we discovered about each other. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. Good. Yeah, good. And um, Chris, anything exciting happening in your life? Well, my my wife visited for a little while, which was nice. There you go. In between, but that's about all. Yeah. I'm afraid. So this is a dull, dull life we live here in London. <laughs> anyway, the question we're going to um, uh, lead off on today is um, one that was very interesting. Came in from someone called Richard. Richard Chatterton in Basingstoke. And his um, question <coughs> was, um, why didn't Jesus write his own gospel? Surely it would have made things a lot easier to have left behind clear, concise, written instructions for those of us trying to do our best 2,000 years later. And uh, I guess a lot of people might have sympathy with that that view. But it's a very interesting question. Why didn't 
Jesus write his own gospel? Um, I guess Jesus could write. I mean, we, there's an instance of Jesus writing in the dust. In the dust. But that um, could have been a drawing, couldn't it? But we but knew he could, he read. could read. We exactly. knew he could read, so there's a chance, yeah. pretty good chance he could write. That's right. As a, as a, as a yeah, someone brought up within the synagogue, he presumably was quite capable of writing, but um, chose not to write a gospel, chose not to write anything, as far as we know. Mm. So, yeah, any any thoughts on that one? It's, it's the kind of... Um, Grand Inquisitor's question, isn't it, from the brothers Karamazov? Uh, the the Grand Inquisitor accuses Jesus of actually being mean to people because he leaves us too much freedom, mm-hmm. and we're not capable of coping with it. Mm-hmm. So the Grand Inquisitor is saying that that's that's the role of a certain kind of institutional church is to make up for the defects mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but theologians out of a job as well. Well. <laughs> Um, yes, have we have to declare an interest here. Yeah? <laughs> so. But you, you have to, to wonder if actually that is part of the theological point, is that there is this certain amount of freedom. And freedom seems to be one of the aspects of God's interaction with us from the moment we're created onwards, that actually we're not given just a set of prescriptions about exactly what we should do all the time. Mm, yeah. And that growing into relationship with God is part of the point of it, not just being automata that follow instructions. It it assumes the question slightly that he came to teach primarily. Mm. Mm. Um, Whereas the Christian understanding is that he came to to do things rather than to say things primarily. Uh, His teaching is important and it feeds us enormously. But... In the end, it's the death and the resurrection, yeah. uh, and life of death and resurrection. Th- those are the key things. Um, it's and therefore the gospels are primarily story narrative, mm. rather than primarily instruction. Yeah, the, the Gnostics thought that it was it was some information that would save us, but actually, Christians have always believed it's it's what Jesus did that that, that accomplishes that. Right, well, if I understand Richard Burridge right, this is a point he's making in his new book called Imitating Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's asking, how do we think ethically in, in light of the Gospels, which are biography? Mm. They're not ethical treaties. And because of that, because its genre is uh, not a you do now X, Y, Z, uh, we, we have this creative room to think through ethics with more responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's and, fascinating. And indeed, um, uh, what's his name? Old Testament um, lecturer who's uh, coming to speak to here, here shortly. Gordon Wenham, that's the one, mm. um, has also written a book called Story as Torah, suggesting that yeah. even the Old Testament, which you think of as being much more kind of instructional, mm. um, is actually primarily narrative. Yeah. And even the first five books of the Bible are primarily narrative. There's mm. teaching embedded in them. But it, it, it's, it's primarily story. And, and what, how does that become normative? Yeah. How does that become? Yeah. The point is you have to try and yeah. live out that story. Yeah. Uh, now, of course, you don't ignore the teaching that there is along the way. That's part of it. But um, the primary thing is the, the story of Israel, the story of Jesus, yeah. the story of the church. And you can't abstract the ethics from that story or from which part of the story. Right. So, so Jesus could say... Uh, uh, if you're angry with your brother, this is uh, as bad as murdering. But mm. Paul could say, in your anger, do not sin, or even be angry 
is the imperative in the Greek, mm. um, but don't sin. So there's this mm. uh, development and understanding almost there, and uh, we need to be nuanced and careful mm. how we how we read the New Testament. I, I think, think like an archaeologist needs to know from what layer yeah. the thing comes, not just look at the object itself, yeah, but know right. what sedimentary layer it comes mm. from. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting that the, the, the thing that Jesus did leave behind or gave to his disciples was, was not actually a, a text that he'd written, but it was the Holy Spirit. And, um, and it strikes me that maybe what we're sometimes looking for in, you know, gosh, if we only had clear instructions, if we had you know, it all written down to know exactly what we, what we should do, um, is in some ways trying to sort of re- replace the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, because actually what Jesus gave to his disciples and, and, and gives to us is, is the Spirit who, who, um, who transforms and who teaches and who leads into a into a way of life and it seems to me that again in the in the new testament you don't really have much case law you don't have you know lots of do this do that do the do the other there's very little of that what you do get is, is lists of qualities that you're meant to that are meant to emerge out of the life of the spirit in the church so you know um classic ones being the fruit of the spirit being love, love joy, joy peace, peace patience kindness, kindness goodness goodness yeah. gentleness self-control and um that that's where the the, the letters end up it's not here's what you do. It's these are the qualities that are to emerge out of your life in Christ, your life in the That's Spirit. A great point. Yeah. And um, and so that seems to be me, me the the point of the whole exercise is to develop a particular quality of life, which is not about doing certain things because you read it in a book, but almost doing certain things naturally because that's, yeah. you've become that kind of person. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like you know I think C.S. Lewis uses the illustration in one of his books about. Um, you know, playing tennis. You know, if, if you're a good tennis player, it's not that you've read how to play tennis in a book. Um, it's that you've, by playing tennis, by doing it, learning how to do it, playing it over and over again, you become the kind of person who can play good shots pretty regularly. Now, I haven't said that everyone can do the odd shot every now and again. That's quite good. But a good player is someone who nine times out of ten plays the plays the shot really well a bad player is somebody who does it once out of ten mm-hmm. and the goal is to become the kind of player who does it yeah. nine times out of ten now somebody that says something similar about the christian life in the same way we know we have to become the kind of people who who play good shots morally that are almost without thinking about it yeah. um because it's the kind of people we become i mean yeah. one can sympathize with the question asked yeah. that obviously yeah. it would be nice to know that we were doing the right kinds of things and and the model you're describing sounds in a way more difficult, but I don't think it is. I think it's 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 more about being human beings, isn't it? Mm. It's about mm. um, how we actually learn and and live together and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, and actually, mm. checklists, um, as Saint Paul says, even if we knew what we were supposed to, doesn't mean we're able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, mm. in a lot of cases, we do not know. Mm. We do actually know what we're supposed to do, and we still mm. don't do it. So. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, so um, and and that is a very despair-making situation to be in, unless actually what is what we are required to do is to live more and more and more yeah. mm. um, uh, fully in the in the, the light of the Holy Spirit. It, it almost redefines what what it means for Jesus to write, doesn't it? I wonder if we'd have the Apostle Paul here. I think he'd be surprised that we're saying that Jesus didn't write. 
because he says in Second Corinthians 3, you show yourselves to be a letter of Christ, mm. written not with ink, but with <laughs> the spirit of the living God, mm. which kind of brings some of this together. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. He did write, but through, in his people. And, and that's the second thing he left behind, of course. Yeah, one, sure. one, the spirit, the second, the yeah, church, sure. the community. Yeah. Uh, and we need one another yeah. to discern the mind of Christ. Yeah. I mean, is it, I, I, again, I sympathize with the, the questioner in the sense that, you know, the teachings of Jesus are important. And Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit when he comes. Well, take what I have mm. told mm. you and, and apply it to mm. you. Uh, so there's, an, there's a kind of interaction between uh, the work of the Spirit and the teaching of Jesus. But there's also... As I say, the shape of the story that we're just called to live out. Paul in, in Philippians 2 says, have this mind amongst yourselves. This is yours. Amongst yourselves, again, it's a plural thing. It's a corporate thing. It's the church uh, together um, that was is yours in Christ Jesus. Who? And then goes on to talk about um, the incarnation, the cross, and the resurrection ascension. Um, so it's, it's live out this story in your mind, in your attitude, and then everything else will uh, will follow. And of course, the Eucharist is the other thing he left behind, mm. which helps us to do that, trains us in that pattern, mm. uh, in, in, it's us entering weekly, daily, whatever, into the death and the resurrection of Christ. Mm. Um, and that is the kind of root work, and then everything else follows from that, it seems to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me recall something that Martin Luther said about this very question, because I think there's one point where he... he um, he, he gives his answer to this question, you know, why doesn't why didn't Jesus write a gospel? And uh, his answer is because essentially the, for him, the gospel is something spoken before it's something written. It's primarily a kind of an announcement, which is sort of best done in spoken terms rather than something written down in, in a text, hmm. which is kind of interesting. I don't, know what you, don't know what you think of that. I mean, that's 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 his sort of. Um, you know, the gospel is something to be proclaimed with with voice and with intonation and with with personality, rather than a a sort of set of words written on it. And now, obviously, you know, Luther is very hot on the Bible, <laughs> as we all know. So he's not not sort of saying the Bible is unimportant, but he's actually saying that the gospel is primarily a an announcement. It's a sort of living word that is spoken before it's a it's a sort of written text and of course it's an announcement of things that have happened it's good news it's news yeah uh it's not instruction primarily yeah yeah it's uh news of things that have happened Mm -hmm. these -hmm. things have happened and and in these events that i'm telling you um god has transformed the whole situation in which the world lives um you you're dependent upon those facts those events yeah and speaking of course also involves interaction doesn't it yes um, mm. it, it implies at least two people who are um, looking at each other and responding to each other. Yeah. And again, I think that's an important part of it. I suppose the other thing that Luther knew and that we forget is that there are lots of people who don't read. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and the gospel is not mm. a closed book to them. Yeah. Mm. Um, for most of Christian history, people would not have read the text. They would have had it read to them and proclaimed yeah, sure. to them. And that's yeah. still the case in a lot and of the world. And they'd have seen... Uh, war paintings and yes. stained glass windows and oh. got their knowledge of the Bible that yeah. way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, yeah, and that's where the, the other thing in my sense is that even, even if, in a way, the New Testament was full of clear, concise, written instructions, we'd still argue about it. We'd still have to try and, <laughs> have to try and interpret it and make yeah. sense yeah. of it. Because and, and situations change. You know, exactly. he, he, yeah. he presumably would not have told us what to do about cloning, you know, because he didn't yeah. know about cloning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Or if he if he tried to say everything about everything there is possibly to know, then the Bible would have been a rather large book. It would have been, yeah. So well, the whole world itself would not have been large exactly. enough to contain <laughs> what would have yeah. needed to have been written. John chapter twenty, verse twenty-one, or something, something like that. Like that. Yes. Good. Well, that's um, that's a really interesting question. It's mm. opened up some quite um, interesting areas there. So thank you, Richard, for your question there. And we've got another one here, which um, has come in from uh, Paul Van der Clay in Sacramento in California, uh, which, again, is a really interesting one. Uh, this question is, is this, um, um, does God open the lost letters of planet Earth? Uh, does God hear Muslim prayers, for example? Um, it's easy to answer on one level because of God's omniscience. He knows everything. So, of course, he knows the content of every thought and prayer. So on one level, he has to hear every prayer. But that isn't really the question. The question is, how does God re- regard requests made by others who, in a sense, don't get the address right on the envelope? Does God open the lost letters of planet Earth? There are the gray areas like Muslims who claim they're described Allah as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who also claim to be talking to the same God. Then there are Hindus and polytheists who have lots of gods. Um, so that's the question. I guess as, as Christians, we're taught to pray uh, in the name of Jesus. And uh, we offer our prayers to God through Christ in the Spirit. Um, but what if you offer your prayers in another way? If you are a Muslim praying or a Hindu praying or even a secular humanist atheist who gets so desperate at one point and prays. Um, how does God regard those prayers? Does he hear them? Does he answer them? Are they different from Christian prayers? So, well, I mean, I think the first thing one needs to say is agree with the questioner that at one level, at one level there's a very straight answer, um, and that is, of course, he hears them. Um, otherwise, nobody would ever be able to become a Christian. <laughs> uh, you know, those who call on the name of the Lord. Uh, it's... If if somebody didn't have, you know, if God didn't listen when somebody who was not an already already a Christian prayed, then nobody would ever become one. Mm. Um, so that that seems to me the first the first level. Mm. And we also know that lots of people prayed to to God fruitfully and were heard without ever having heard of Jesus. I mean, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were mm. cases in point. Mm. Elijah was you know, the prayers of a righteous man. <laughs> avail much um so there's a degree in which the sense in which the nature of the person the character of the person is a significant factor um and god doesn't mind too much about the envelope i think mm-hmm. so then does that therefore mean that it doesn't really matter whether you pray in the name of jesus or whether you pray in the name of muhammad or anyone else or what's the difference then between christian prayer and and non-christian prayer I'm sorry. Go on, yeah, yeah. It depends what you mean by in the name of. Does that mean that you say in the name of Jesus at the end of it, or is it does it mean according to the the will and the nature and the character of? Um, Because that's that's a rather different thing. I I mean, I suppose I've always been very intrigued and inspired by that bit in Romans eight about the Holy Spirit praying in us. Um, when we don't know what we're talking about. Which uh, is most is, of the time. This, which is most of the time. This is my own translation. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
in in words too in words too deep for us to understand. And that sense that actually what we're doing when we pray when we pray is very often joining in God's conversation with God. Hmm. Um, so God's conversation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one through the Holy Spirit that we're privileged to begin to join in with as we pray, as we allow the Holy Spirit to pray in us. Um, And that uh, will begin to change the nature of our praying, won't it? If we actually begin to to tune in a little bit more, open ourselves a little bit more to the Holy Spirit to pray in us, we'll begin to change the nature of our prayer so that um, it will become more like God's prayer for his world, God's communication with his world um and that's clearly not something that can happen unless you are actually open to the holy spirit you are actually Mm. allowing god Mm. to to speak through your own praying um Mm. consciously that doesn't mean that the other kinds of prayers um god doesn't hear them but inevitably they're going to be less shaped by Mm. god's own character which is what we hope christian praying Mm. is 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 doing is shaping Mm. us into the likeness of Christ yeah. through the work of the Holy Spirit yeah. Yeah. Um, increasingly. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. And I, I think the groaning thing that Paul talks about in, in the science too deep for words that the Spirit does, he talks about creation groaning, he talks about Christians yeah. groaning, and then mm-hmm. he talks about the Holy Spirit groaning. It's a way of saying that when we are deeply troubled about the state of the world or, or people that we know and love who are, who are suffering and kind of suffer with them, mm. then in that, that A, that is prayer, mm. and B, in it, God himself is, 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 the Spirit himself is groaning with us mm. um, uh, in a way that you probably wouldn't like to agree with, Jane. But, you know, there is a kind of... So long as you're using the term metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I suppose the whole question of God's interaction with even Christian prayers is is quite a sort of complicated one, isn't it? You know, yes, God hears our prayers. He doesn't seem to answer all of them, um, or at least answers them in ways that we sometimes find difficult to to discern. Um, And and in in a a way, it's... I always find it quite difficult in in any case, even the, the question, you know, does God... And how does God interact with Christian prayers is not something that's that's that's, that's actually very easy to yeah. to kind of lay down rules for, for for what God does and what God doesn't do. Mm. It seems to me that what we do when we we pray when we intercede is to, is to is to bring our requests before God as we're, we're told to do in Philippians. Um, and if you like, we, we we leave them with God and we we give we kind of trust Him with them. Um, so we, you know, we can't ever demand that he answers our prayers in the same way that we do. Um, you know, we are encouraged to make our requests boldly to him, and we're meant to do that. Um, but there's always an element of, of of God's freedom in prayer, which we can't prescribe. And therefore, when mm. we pray, there's always that element of of us saying, "Look, here's my prayer. I desperately want this, God." But at the end of the day, it's it's up to you whether you grant this or or in what way you grant it. Um, so, uh, so, so, in some ways, it's it, it, there's there's a there's that question around whole Christian prayer, yeah. too, and, and therefore I think when we then go on to the question of well, how does God regard a, a Muslim praying? Um, uh, I think yeah, surely it's within the freedom of God to right. to grant answers to prayers that, as you say, don't have the right address on the envelope, yeah. but come from the heart and and, and are desperate cries of, of his of his creation. 
or his his creatures. But if praying isn't just about intercession, but is also about mm. yeah. making space mm. for the Holy Spirit to change us. Mm. I mean, praying is a dangerous business because it doesn't leave the, the it doesn't leave us unchanged, does it? There's no good praying yeah, sure. yeah. if you don't want to be in a relationship with mm. God. So, mm. so in that sense. Um, as you say, I'm sure God answers all kinds of requests of people who don't even know that they're praying, mm, mm, yeah. um, but who have that passionate yeah. care and concern for things. And you do often find stories of people, you know, before they come to faith, you know, uttering a prayer out of desperation and suddenly finding that prayer answered. Mm. Um, and then that being the very thing that spurs them on to engage with God and, and to you know, they come to church or an alpha court or something like that, and, and and often it's it's in answered prayer and prayer that isn't uttered in the you know correct way that you know that God does seem to do that. Um, I mean, and He wants a relationship with us. Uh, he wants us to be in conversation with Him. So, if somebody praying is somebody being in conversation. He's going to like mm. that. He's going to want to draw that. Yeah, on further, he's going to want to reshape yeah. their view of who he is and their understanding of who he is, of course. But then that's mm. true of Christians as well. We have to have mm. our views of God, which are always inadequate, mm. reshaped re- and restructured and enlarged uh, through a process of prayer. But he's going to delight in the fact that somebody is actually mm. engaging with him, responding to him, seeking him, mm. Uh, mm. responding to him in all sorts mm. of ways. Mm. Um, yeah. There's, a, again, a lovely bit in, in um, C.S. Lewis. I think it's in Miracles where he talks about the shock of finding somebody on the other end of a line. Mm. Um, there's mm. a lot of people talk about the divine as though it's some sort of abstract thing. And, and actually when you pray and suddenly find there is yeah. an answer, a, a living, you know, a, not a, 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 a real yeah. person, as it were, on the other end, yeah. that can be quite a shock. And, yeah, and so it's a bit about the children playing burglars and messing around right. and suddenly realising the there footsteps. actually is a burglar yeah. in the house yeah. in the footsteps. And that's gosh, right. this is not a game anymore. Mm, and that is, is a fantastic yeah. description of, of a lot of, of the way in which prayer works, is that you do it because you can't mm. help it, and then mm. suddenly mm. you are drawn into a conversation. But there are also the kind of warnings to us all in, in the business of prayer as to um, the ways in which our lives contradict yeah. uh, our spirituality. <clears throat> and you know, on the day of your fasting, says Isaiah 58, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Well, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Uh, mm. The, mm. If your life is shouting something completely different from what you're saying mm. in, in, in your prayers, then there's going to be a problem there, whether you're <laughs> Jewish, English, Jewish, Christian, Muslim or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there is another part of the question which um, we'll ask at the end, which is about um, what about prayers to saints? Um, when we pray, you know, some Christians uh, pray to the saints, and um, uh, some don't. And um, Protestants generally have sort of doubts about praying to the saints. It's within Catholic spirituality; it's a sort of more common thing. Um, you know, does this sort of patronage system, as he, as he puts it, work? <laughs> so you can get better results by working towards the sun through Mary or Joseph or, or the saints. So what does God do with those prayers and, and how do we understand that? I think, think it would be fair to say that the Catholic tradition would, when it's been careful, say you, we, we don't pray to the saints, we ask them to pray for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very, very important and significant dis- distinction. Mm-hmm. One prays to God um, because he is the ultimate mm-hmm. source of all power and able to act in his world 
and also the ultimate wisdom and therefore knows, knows how to act in his world. So I think mm. all Christians would agree that one prays ultimately only to God. Mm. The question is whether one can ask people who are no longer alive to pray for you. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that on, uh, on that, there was a number of different views. Yeah. I think I, I have very mixed feelings about it because sometimes um, I, I've, one knows sort of huge bodies of prayer, for example, to Mary, mm. um, where people have felt um, that, that that maternal feminine aspect of God is, is lacking from the teaching that they at least have received about God and that they feel more able to communicate with, with a, a motherly feminine figure. And a lot of the prayers that one sees through Christian spirituality addressed to Mary are that kind of prayer. She will understand, whereas this holy, transcendent right. God that they've been taught about won't. And mm. a part of me understands that, and, but part of me thinks how sad yes. mm. that they should think that's not an aspect mm. of God. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, you can tell God anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, not as yeah. though you're telling him something he, yeah. he doesn't know. And, and if you think you can't, try reading the Psalms, because well, exactly. they do. Yeah. And, yeah. and these yeah. are God-given words yeah. and it is something which that, to address God. And it's interesting, you know, that in, it's, it's very often, well, it was in medieval Christianity that that the whole sort of cult of Mary and the saints became very, very, very strong. And this isn't saying that that's necessarily a, a, a one can't involve the wider communion of saints, the living and the dead in, in one's prayers. But as you say, it's, it, I think what happened in the Middle Ages was that the figure of Jesus became this rather terrifying, mm. awful judging figure. A lot of the kind of imagery of, of Jesus that you see in, in medieval art uh, is, is of a quite distant... Um, Threatening figure. Figure, you know, who, who is the judge, you know, with the, the sword of judgment out of one ear and the lily of mercy on the other side and there's the, the damned over here, over here, over one it's side. Interesting the, headgear, isn't it? Really? Exactly, I don't right. know if it'd catch on an ask. Yeah, right. necessarily. <laughs> and, the, you know, the saved on the other side. And, and, and you could quite understand why that, that kind of Jesus, you wouldn't really feel you could approach with... A horrible mess things. that you've made of your life. <laughs> exactly, that's right. So you want to go to someone a bit more sympathetic, like yeah. Mary or, or the saints or your dead relations or whatever it might might be. But that's that's the result of a of a theological problem, which is yeah. which is making Jesus more distant. Where actually the point of the incarnation is to make is God coming near to us, becoming yeah. one of us, mm-hmm. so that we we can approach Him and He approaches us, and and, yeah. and so on. And. And how Jesus models prayer for us as well. It's got, we were talking about the prayers and the Psalms. It's amazing how raw and unedited these prayers mm. could be. Yes. yes. Mm. Wake up, God. Why are you asleep? <laughs> mm. I, yeah. I, I don't think I'd have the boldness to pray that. But, but Jesus hanging on the cross, of course. But still, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's mm. this immediacy and deepness of relationship mm. that is... Mm. That is modelled in the biblical prayers, mm-hmm. which uh, yeah. it's a real challenge. Mm-hmm. And intimacy of say. intimacy of relationship, precisely at the point where mm-hmm. it feels God feels most absent. Yeah, and yeah. But I guess what, I mean what what I, th- I think the whole idea of praying or speaking to the saints, involving them in in, in prayer, because there's the positive side of that is it's, it's a very strong affirmation of this idea of the communion of saints that Christians <laughs> have always had. It's there in the creed that we do believe that those who've died in Christ are not gone. They're not sort of, you know, they've not been snuffed out. Uh, and therefore the the people of God is more than just those of us who happen to be alive at the moment. Um, it's all the saints and the martyrs and, 
uh, and all of these things. And we, we, you know, we belong to the same family still. And uh, they're on our side and we're on their side. And, and you know, we get something of that in, in the New Testament as well. The whole idea of the sort of cloud of witnesses mm. you get in, 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 in the book of Hebrews. Yes. Mm. And so that, that's, I think, the, the positive aspect of, of it. Now, there are abuses of that, of course, mm. where, as you say, you know, we pray to, the, to Mary or the saints instead of praying to God or, or to Jesus because they've become too distant and remote and, and we can't relate to them. Um, but maybe there is something valuable in that tradition by reminding us of the, of the you know the, the communion of saints the people who got is something much much bigger than just us hmm. so we add our prayers to to theirs yeah yeah and that ultimately for rather them. than either yeah playing to them rather than jesus or just letting them get on with it yeah that's right yes yes and if they are in some way in the presence of god communing with him in a much more immediate way than than we are then you can see it makes a bit of sense yeah. to to to, for us to feel part of that, and that, that you know, for the Christian, death is not the the ultimate barrier. No. It doesn't cut us off totally from the you know the the saints who've gone before us, um, and certainly not from God. Mm. And uh, that's something perhaps that a sort of Protestant um, fear of of the abuses of this thing maybe misses a little bit. Yes, yeah, so as usual, it's a more individualistic. Yeah. approach the, the Protestant yeah. one yeah. in a sense and forgets that we do it as part of yeah. uh, a community well it's just gone to uh, um, well I just say it's just gone 12 o'clock but whether you're listening to this it hasn't gone 12 o'clock it's gone something else but uh, I think our time it might is, have um, gone 12 o'clock nearly up Mike you have to go and uh, do a service I have to go and um, yes precisely join the great cloud of witnesses at the Eucharist there you go so um, we have reached the end of today. So uh, please do keep um, sending in the, the emails and the questions. Um, thank you to those who've sent the questions in for today. And um, we will uh, be back again before too long. Uh, what guests have we got coming up? Do you, we've got Luke remember? Bretherton coming. We have got Luke Bretherton coming Shortly. up sometime soon from King's College London. Very interesting sort of political theologian. Uh, we've got um, Nigel Bigger. Who's professor at professor of Oxford, moral, uh, moral and pastoral and theology at Oxford University? He's um, uh, one of our other God pods coming up soon. So uh, yeah, do listen out for the other ones to come. So um, thank you, Chris. Pleasure. I just wanted to say, I did have some profound wisdom to share. I just couldn't find the Bible verse, <laughs> <laughs> just to be humble. That's but it was good. there in the back okay. of my mind. The so just, just if you re- if you read out. the Bible from cover to cover, <laughs> you'll have got yeah. Chris's point. So keep listening, and you'll hear from Chris's. And you will notice that Chris is trying to anchor it in the Bible, unlike the rest of us who are just waffling. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, thank you, Jane. Thanks. Lovely and to be here. Mike as well. Okay. That was God Pod, a podcast from the St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.